I have a great episode for you today. Today I'm interviewing Michael Denolis. He is from Astoria Cigar Company and also works with Luciano Cigars. So let's get to today's interview. So Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Antoine. How are you? I'm doing good. It almost looks like we coordinated our outfits, which makes me very excited. <laughs> I'm not bad, man. Listen, Jersey Boys either. pulled it off. I think we can do it too. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's been a while since I've seen you. I remember seeing you at the PCA trade show uh, several right. months ago now, but I immediately oh, was like, okay, Mike is one of those people I need to have on deep cuts because you and I go back a bit and just for, for people who don't know. So Mike used to work at Soho Cigar Bar in New York City. And I had the pleasure of going there with several friends a couple of years ago. And Mike was, and I told him this yesterday, so he's not surprised by any of this I'm telling, but Mike was a, a great host um, who really took the time to kind of spend time with, with us at the table and know that it was a packed night and kind of made you feel at home, walk, you know, walk us through what was, you know, the, the cigar offerings. I don't think I smoked that night though, but um, it was a, a fun night. So I always remember that, that night of, of meeting you and being able to chat with you and uh, you definitely left an impression. So I'm oh, happy well, I to have you on Deep Cuts uh, tonight. Well, I got to tell you, I'm extremely flattered to be on the show, man. You've had some really impressive names on here and just juggernauts in the industry and what you do in the industry, getting the word out there through the publications and through the podcast. I mean, you're just building to the culture of what this is. And I feel like half my job sometimes is just like informing people like, it's okay to smoke cigars, man. You know what I mean? Like I'm in the lounges now and I'm talking with people and then I'm like, I catch myself saying like cigar stuff. Like, oh yeah, I had that, uh, that was my breakfast cigar today and uh, I really enjoyed it. And they're like, wait, 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 what's a breakfast cigar? I'm like, that's a cigar <laughs> I smoked before breakfast. Now my post-breakfast cigar, you know what I mean? So we get into it. So what you do uh, building up the culture of all this, it really like, it's a thankless job. And uh, I appreciate what you do and having me on, man. Well, like I said, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, so what you I know what's funny? Do- I was going to tell yeah. you, I remember you coming in and I remember <laughs> meeting you. And, uh, you know, I think shortly after we, we got a, a really nice uh, article from you and it really helped mm-hmm. boost our business. And I was always grateful for that. But I remember, you know, I, I am Greek and Italian. My nickname, Mike the Greek, but like kind of like the Greek Italian in me was like, wait a minute, you don't want no cigar? You know, I so know. I kind of did this thing. <laughs> but like, if I'm, if correct me if I'm wrong, if, if we even remember that far back, I'm pretty sure you had like six events that day and probably smoked about a box of cigars before you got to me. Cause I remember you came in around like eight o'clock at night and you just go like defeated. You're like, no, I just need water, please. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. You know, I can't remember that far back. And I want to say that that was the time that I think the Davidoff in Brooklyn had just opened or something like that. I think that was that the visit. A, and I remember going to that event and meeting the friend that took me to Soho afterward. Cause she's like, do you mind if we go to Soho? And I was like, no, like if, if that's where you want to go. So, so yeah. And it was like, you know, when you're in New York city back, at least back then it was like, you know, spending the whole day walking around and exploring the city and all this stuff. So I probably was kind of like out of it. Uh, Dude, <laughs> but, yeah. real recognizes real no, like everyone's like because i moved to florida now after so we moved to nicaragua but then florida 
And everyone's like, do you miss New York? And I'm like, yeah, I miss the food. I miss a bunch of things about it, but like, I don't miss being exhausted all the time. Cause you can't yeah. do like, you can't just do stuff. It's like every, like, if you want to go to the dentist, that's a full day. You know what I mean? You want to go to like a grocery shopping or like Best Buy, like you need a full eight hours off to do that oh, one yeah. task. And it's just exhausting. I remember that opening of Davinoff too. Cause I remember Will's over there and such a knowledgeable guy. And I remember being happy that, uh, you know, he got picked for that role and that, com- that, uh, spot is still there in Brooklyn. And, uh, yeah. I remember, yeah. Cause yeah, that was about five years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a while back. I was trying to remember what year that was. And it was, everything's a blur when it comes. Now I'll say, I'll say BC era, the before COVID <laughs> era is like a, a whole blur uh, now. So, so yeah, but you know, what, what I wanted to do tonight is kind of introduce people to you and you are doing a lot these days. And I just want, you know, people to kind of get a sense of who you are and the different companies that you kind of work with and and just really uh, open up, you know, the doors to, to everything that you're doing and, and are dabbling in today. So first of all, though, can you tell us like where you are tonight? Because I know you're with a special retailer. So we're at uh, Stogie's in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's on Okeechobee Boulevard. Um, Stogie's is a new account of mine. Uh, great staff here. Great owner. Like, just doing what's right, you know, like you go into so many lounges and you're like, you know, just not doing the bare minimum. And mm-hmm. what these guys do is they go above and beyond. Uh, I always like to kind of walk into stores and like walk around and talk to people before I introduce myself. And like, I walked in and like, Hey man, humidor's over here. Let me help you. What are you into? Like, what do you like to drink? Like really went above and beyond and, uh, it blew me away and they're, le- they let me, uh, smoke out back. So I figured I a nice place to do the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. So let's get into your story. So how did you like, let's even go even further back. What was your childhood like? Oh, man. So my childhood was riddled with cigars, actually. Um, I grew up in Atlantic City, New Jersey. My father uh, was a chef. Uh, He's no longer in that industry. But my father was a chef and he opened up a bunch of casino uh, restaurants. And my mother was a, you know, a career server. And so we moved here when we were kids and, you know, a little bit even more into it is, you know, the clothing, the cigars, even like the hair, it all stems from my childhood because I grew up in Atlantic City in the 90s. So, you know, like boxing with Tyson, hip hop, uh, clothing, jewelry, cigars, like just getting dressed up. Like I would go with my mother at the time they only had one car. So I would go with my mother to pick my father up from work. And I remember I had to put a jacket on as like an eight year old to step on the casino floor. You know what I mean? And like, it was just a part of society, a part of life. It was about as normal as COVID is normal now, you know? And that's kind of like, I remember my dad stepping out of the restaurant and just like lighting up a cigar and, it was just something always very special to me. And, uh, you know, I grew up with that and, you know, I ended up working in Atlantic city a long time. Uh, I did a lot of nightclub restaurant bar work. Um, and then, you know, eventually we moved to New York, but, you know, growing up in Atlantic city on that boardwalk, man, it's, I, I felt like a Goonie, you know, if you've ever seen that movie, it was just such this unique thing to like be like 10 years old and know all the, know all the lays of the land. And like, we would swim out, I remember when we were like 10, 11 years old, 
we would swim out on one of the surfing beaches of Atlantic City because uh, the tide would bring in these weird pink shells. And then we would paint the shells a lacquer and then we'd sell them for five dollars on the boardwalk. You know, so that like little hustler mentality, that whole like vibe of AC in the 90s really stuck with me my whole life. And it really like imprinted. Uh, it really imprinted like who I ended up becoming and who I'm continue to be. You know, it was just I was just so grateful to be in that environment, like working young, hustling young, uh, you know, deep family roots and always cigars, always cigars. Wow. Uh, what was your um, relationship like with your father? you know, beyond childhood? Because it sounds like he had a, a kind of, a, I would say, a, 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 seems like a sizable impact on who you, you know, became and how you were, were brought up. Well, my mother and father were such role models of mine. Uh, I have five children in my family. Uh, I'm the oldest brother and I have four younger sisters. And what they instilled in us wasn't, you know, wealth or, you know, a brand new pair of Jordans every other week. It was that if you want something in life, you have to work for it and you have mm -hmm. to take it. And that's something they both taught me in their own way. Uh, you know, my father with fashion, cigars, you know, that I really gravitated towards my father. And, uh, you know, this is kind of like how he used to dress every day. It was just kind of life for him. And then, you know, my mother just teaching me the value of a dollar. And, you know, after working 15 hours, then she'd come home and, you know, make us food. And like, it was just something I was like appreciative of. Because uh, my first job, I think I was like eight years old. So when I, I remember I worked and they gave me my money. And I remember thinking like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, I just did all this work. Would you give me 40 bucks? Like, whatever it was. Like, I just remember thinking, like, that's not enough. And, you know, they just explained it to me. They're like, yeah, you, you want a pair of Jordans? Like, go work and uh, save your money up. And, like, that was just, like, one of those little lessons that, I, like, stuck with me my whole life. And, you know, they imprinted so much on me. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, they had the patience to deal with me because I wasn't the easiest kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, what made you want to get into cigars as like a profession? Well, I was, uh, when I first moved to New York, I moved with my girlfriend who is now my wife, uh, Kristen. We, we went to New York and I was working at strip clubs and I was doing that for about six years and I have a career in hospitality. So I thought this was like a new venture for me to expand my resume. Uh, I also opened up a club in Midtown. A uh, brand new club. So I was like, oh, you know, again, resume build, resume build. And I just, although the industries of working at the bars and the strip clubs, the restaurants, the nightclubs, you know, I, I had a pretty diverse background with it. I guess the biggest thing is everything revolved around cigars. You know, I'd go to work an hour early so I could smoke cigars upstairs at one of the clubs. I went to work an hour early so I could hang out at Soho because the club was near Soho Cigar Bar. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they'd give me money to throw parties for our guests, like, uh, you know, a party budget. And I just spend it all on cigars. And like, I throw cigar parties, like everything was always about tobacco. It was just always about cigars. And, you know, eventually I just kind of took like two months off, which was the worst idea ever. Cause I don't do good sitting still, but I kind of took two months off. I just kind of like worked out every day and thought about what I wanted to do. And I was working at the time. Yeah, I took two months off, but I was working part-time, right? So mm -hmm. I was working at a, a suit place. Uh, my friend makes all my suits uh, in Queens. And 
I was working there and here I am working somewhere. I'm extremely passionate about the product. Like I love suits. I have, am I, am I allowed to say how many suits I have on air like this or is that a secret? Oh, <laughs> I have over 200 suits. It is what, what do you keep this them world. It's, it, <laughs> I moved to Florida. I had to get rid of half of them because they're all winter suits. So I, half of them are in storage. I got about 30 at my mom's and my dad's house. And then the rest are down here with me in Florida. And I'm sitting here around suits and shoes and all this stuff I'm obsessed with. And it still wasn't enough. I still wasn't like fulfilled, you know? And eventually I, I figured it out and I'm like, I want to be in cigars. And I actually applied at a couple places in New York, uh, Casa de Monte Cristo, uh, Carnegie Club, you know, just putting feelers out there. You know, no one was really looking for anybody. And then Lee at Soho Cigar Bar actually found out through the grapevine that I was applying. So I've been sneaking into Soho since I was 18. It's a long and funny story, but I've known the owner for since I was 18 years old. So he calls me and he's like, yo, what the hell? Why didn't you tell me you wanted to work? I would have put you to work. And I'm like, Lee, I've been coming there since I was 18 years old. You never had a manager. Why would I apply? I was like, I don't know how to bartend like that. He's like, no, I want a manager. Come down. Let's talk. So I went down, we talked for about an hour, and the next day I was the GMSO Cigar Bar, you know? He kind of just brought me in and really took a shot on me, because uh, I did not come from like, you know, Soho as you've been, it's just a small bar, mm -hmm. it's got 96 seats, they're not crammed in there, but you know, it's a tight little bar, and you know, I came from, you know, sometimes like, I'd have 20, 30, $40,000 tables, and I had 20 tables going at once, so he just thought it would be boring, or I don't know what he thought, but he, he clearly in the beginning wasn't like on the same page with me as like trying to diverge myself completely submerge myself in tobacco. And, um, I didn't want to give up my hospitality career and just like, cause there, there was opportunities to become a rep or sales manager. And I was just like, I'm going to lose all this work I did in New York. So why not work somewhere in New York with cigars and just keep building my clientele that way. And then, you know, we'll do it for a couple of years and go from there. Uh, unfortunately, a couple of years after I started Soho, COVID hit. So right. that was kind of like the end of that story because we all got laid off uh, with the uh, the citywide curfew and like the mandatory mm -hmm. shutdowns and all the disaster that was quarantine and COVID. Like we really got hit hard in New York. Yeah, because I was wondering what 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 led you to leave because I remember just looking on Instagram uh, and following you. Up followed you for a while i think since that first meeting and yes yeah, all of a sudden it was like like okay i'm in nicaragua now and i was like what like, <laughs> like, like like that's like a big move and i was like wondering i was like i wonder if it's like you know this is like part of the impact of, of covid because like i know new york city got hit pretty hard with the curfews and and just it covid completely just changed the vibe of the city and a lot yeah. of businesses so it really turned the city upside down. And, you know, there was, uh, you know, during the time it was uh, the Black Lives Matter protests were going on on the marches. I'm not sure in the proper terms, but that was happening on then you had COVID. And then, like, as human beings, we don't like being told what to do. And now right. as a New Yorker, you definitely don't like being told what to do. So this whole get your ass home by seven like that didn't fly with a lot of people. And like, it was really got to the point where I was just staying in the house because I was scared because like, 
you got people yelling at cops and I have the utmost respect for uh, police and fire and what they do. But like, it's just bad news bears everywhere you look. And, you know, we kind of just stayed inside for two months. And I guess with the layoff from Soho, and I do want to say like Lee was heartbroken. The owner of uh, Soho Cigar Bar is Lee Ringelheim, and he was just heartbroken. You know, we had worked so hard over the last two years, me and him specifically going to the trade shows and building the clientele, and then me and the staff. You know, I got to give the staff credit. And if any of you guys are listening, I still love all you guys. What you guys did with me there was extremely special. And how we raised the gross and we just built Soho as a brand, you know? And we just did all this work. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I was on a Tuesday. I remember I was doing payroll and like, he's like, hey, this Corona COVID thing happened. And I'm like, what is that, a cocktail? Like, like what is that? And he's like, no, dude, do you, you know, and I, I, that's how I found out about COVID. I got laid off. So COVID kind of gave birth to all this, uh, Nicaragua, mm-hmm. Story and Cigar Co. And what happened was Luciano Morales started in, I think, 2017, and he started Ace Prime. Now, Luciano was making cigars for about 12 years in Nicaragua, right? And then before that, uh, studying and doing tobacco regulations with the Dominican government in Dominican Republic. So I was the Soho was the first to ever sell Luciano cigars in New York. So with that, uh, you know, we had a little bond. Uh, when I first met Luciano, uh, Tiago Splitter actually introduced us. So Tiago is the assistant or he's a coach with the Nets. I don't want to misspeak. And um, he was coming to Soho like weekly, like almost every single day. Because, uh, you know, where Soho was, if there's no traffic, the Brooklyn, the stadium's only 10 minutes over the bridge. So these guys would come over at like 3 and leave at like 7.45 when the traffic ended. So he's bringing right. in Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, like all these people, like all these like famous NBA guys. And he's just amazing. So about two weeks go by, three weeks, and he's doing this. And then out of nowhere, he's like, oh, hey, I'm a partner in a cigar company. Do you want to meet my partner? He wants to sell cigars here. And I'm like, you know, Tiago, we've drank like 20 bottles of rum and tequila together. And you're just now telling me you have a cigar company? (laughs) And he starts laughing. (laughs) He just brings it up out of nowhere. Like, I'm telling you, every day, six days a week, almost seven for about three weeks. And I'm drinking and hanging out with them the whole time. And then he just blurts this on me. So I was like, here in my head, I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm buying these cigars no matter what. Tiago's bringing his friends in. Like, I got to, we got to do this right, right? So Tiago goes, do me a favor. Don't buy the cigars because we're friends. He's like, only buy the cigars if you like them. Because if you like them, I know you'll push them. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. So the next day, Luciano comes in. So Luch, you know, he's got his bald head and his big beard. And, you know, he's all, I think he was like all murdered out in the all black suit, you know, New York style. And, you know, absolute gentleman sits down and he happened to come in when it was slammed. And I was like, listen, man, I need, I need 30 minutes. So they waited, they hung out, they smoked cigars. And I ended up having the meeting with him. I was standing at the table because I was still like helping the servers and working. And I remember I smoked uh, a Habano wrapper cigar he had. And uh, I, I lit it up and then a server needed help. So I walked away from the table and then, like a minute later, I stopped what I was doing. And I walked back to the table and I was like, what did you put in this cigar? And he's looking at me kind of the way you just did. And he's like, why? 
I was like, I've never had a cigar like this in my life. Did you flavor it? Like, what did you do? And he starts laughing. He's like, I never, ever will do a flavored cigar. And no, we just, and then he's just kind of got into the aging process. And then he did something funny. He took the cigar out of my hand and he literally took it apart as it was still lit. And he's like, you see this tobacco? This is why this tastes. And then he just went through the nuances of why he blended the cigar. And that's not the first time someone's done that to me. But it was definitely the best time, you know, the presentation, the education, the knowledge behind it. And, you know, we got I, I ordered the cigars that day and, you know, we had talked weekly for almost like two, three years. Um, and then, you know, that that friendship just kind of blossomed. And after the whole layoff of covid, you know, that that layoff happened around March. Right. And, you know, two months go by, you know, we all gained the COVID 20 pounds and then hit the gym hard and ordered the weights on Amazon, right? Because we couldn't go to the gym. And then I started working at Tobacco Park in Queens and I was also hanging out at Smoke and Ashes in Jersey. So I'm over here hanging out and then working at the other place. Uh, a friend of ours, DJ Nino Brown, he was DJing at Smoke and Ashes. He's still there. He has like a little residency. And it just kind of hit me because we were throwing all these cigar parties and I was just kind of hustling, trying to make money. And then it kind of hit me like, all right, I'm ready. hundred percent. I don't care what I have to do. I want to be in the cigar industry. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to sell drinks. I don't want to run bars. Now I'm done. Let's go. So I called Luciano right before Christmas and I basically in so many words, told him the exact same thing. It was a little more emotional. We were a little stressed out, you know, like, I don't want to say depressed, but that uneasy feeling of like not knowing what the future is going to hold is scary mm -hmm. enough. And then you add like COVID and then you add a couple more factors to it. So it was a beautiful and emotional conversation where I just kind of laid it on the line. And he's like, you know, I don't know right this second what we should do, but why don't you come to Nicaragua? come out for a week. He's like, you're, and, and I'm quoting him. He said, you're beautiful on Instagram. Let's get some, let's get some pictures of you in the field. Let me, let me teach you some stuff. And, uh, you know, he always loved that. I did the, uh, certified sommelier tobacconist through tobacco university. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always did, I did that because of the education. I wanted to like have a, a more formal learning of the tobacco. So he always like kind of knew my desire to learn more and blend and, I went down for a week. I went with my wife and uh, he goes, you know, I don't know what we're going to do next, but I think you guys should move down here and let's figure it out. And me and my wife kind of looked at each other and we're like, all right, let's do it. And that's as simple as it was. A trip to Nicaragua. I went to, he, he did go above and beyond. He took me, he's got about nine fields, maybe 10 now. So he did mm -hmm. take me to like 10 fields. We went to Jalapa. Went to Granada, Omentempe, and like all in 10 days. So these are all like five, six hour trips. And then we went to a bunch of factories and I was like, yeah, I'm hooked. Like I'm ready to start over, like whatever it takes. And let's, I want to be like a credible name in this industry that provides amazing tobacco. And I felt I could do that with Luciano. And I was just grateful that he was willing to like take me on, you know, as sort of like a mentorship or took me under his wing. And that kind of gave birth to everything that's happening now. Wow. When you, you know, you were making this move, this big transition from Soho to Nicaragua, like, did you feel any tension, like with your identity in that, 
Soho was like such a, a big part of your your life for many years, and now you were you were having to kind of make a choice to move on. Like, did you struggle at all? Like with like wanting to hang on to who you were at Soho to where you you know thought that maybe you could go, you know, with Luciano. Like, what was that experience like? Well, it's it's really a great question, man. Uh, so the first thing I did when I decided this is what we want to do, I called Lee from Soho from Nicaragua. And I was like, listen, here's my scenario. I will not do this if my job is there tomorrow, you know? And my, my initial uh, allegiances are to you. So I don't want to leave you right now, but... I don't think you're hiring right now because he had to shut down to like 25% staff. So he actually wanted to bring me back. And I was like, listen, bring back one of the servers, bring back one of the bartenders, like get these guys money, like get, let, let's get them working again. Everyone was hurting for money. The, the employment ran out fast and all that. So, you know, I called him and I talked to him about it. And Lee is one of my biggest fans. He's been such a great supporter. Uh, so that was kind of like step one in that process. Uh, cause that was something I thought about really hard. Cause that was my first like real introduction. The second mm -hmm. thing was, is that Lee loved parading me around. So if there was a live event, he's like, Mike's going, he would buy a table or like he, anyone who contacted the Soho website to do a live event, I had to go. We got rolling tables. We worked with Jesus, uh, Martinez, in New York, Martinez is the only cigar factory in New York City. So we were working with him, and I must have did, I don't know, 50 live shows where I had to explain cigars. I had to talk about tobacco. So I had that in me already. And Lee, like any fears I ever had about that were squashed because Lee made me do it. So it's like, all right, this is my job. I got to do it. So that was kind of part of it. But the biggest thing with leaving was uh, – you know, you're leaving the city, you're leaving this like really awesome job to like, yeah, I'm like the Greek, but like that's the GM of Soho Cigar Bar, man. That was like a really, really big deal. And it was like something I was so grateful for to be a part of. So like I did have this like little brand crisis, but luckily enough, when I moved down, I moved down with Luciano, who, I, who is a very, very dear friend, a brother to me. I moved down with my wife. So we kind of had this conversation and Luciano and my wife said in so many words that this is your opportunity to rebrand yourself, to dive even deeper into something you're already uh, intertwined with. And it wasn't so much like a worry or uh, a fear that I had. It was more of like a goal. You know what I mean? So it was something we recognized. And then it was like, all right, you're not just like an operator anymore. Like we make cigars. So how do I take those strengths from my previous industry and bring it into this industry. So that was the fun challenge. And that's how I do it. I don't like whenever I get fear or insecure, I try to turn it into a challenge. You know what I mean? Like how can I make this work? And that was something that I had this conversation like two years ago. It's so funny. You're coming back with it full circle like that. So yeah, it was definitely something that I considered and really thought about. So I think I want to jump into what is Astorian Cigar Company. So I know that that's one of the things that you that came came out of this transformation, this process. So what is that? So 
in Nicaragua, it's not very expensive to live. You know, it's it's more like you need to know someone to plug you into stuff. You know, which we had Luciano. Um, also, we have a great friend down in Nicaragua, Nesta Lee, uh, Gringo Joe, or Crazy Joe, as we call him. Give him a shout out. So we had people to plug us in there, and I mean, for like eight hundred dollars a month, your rent and you can eat out every night. All your bills are paid. Uh, so we kind of like coasted by just hanging out and working in the factories and all that. Because when I went down, this was. You know, I, I didn't get paid to be at the factory or anything. Like my payment was teaching me how to blend cigars and actual cigars because I needed to smoke, right? So, you know, a couple months go by and I'm like, oh, we need to make money. <laughs> so <laughs> I was trying to think like how I could do this. And at the time we had a different distributor and there was no sales jobs open. And I'm just trying to rack my brain. And, you know, when you work on one blend, for for example, uh, the Fiat Lux by Luciano. That took us about 20 tries to get that thing right. You know? So we made 20 different cigars. Now, just because the other 19 cigars were not what we were trying to accomplish with this blend does not mean they weren't good cigars. So I would go off and maybe take the second blend and the eighth blend and switch the wrapper or like play with it a little bit. And then I'd give it back to Luch and he's I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, oh, this is really tasty. And, you know, I kept doing that for a while. And I'm like, you know what? I told the guy one time we did something like that. And I was like, you know what? Make me, make me a thousand of these. And then I sold them to all my friends in the States. And, and it sold out in like two days. And I'm like, you know what? I think we might be on to something here. So a story in Cigar Co. To uh, make the question longer, sorry. So Astorian Cigar Co. is an online cigar company with three core lines and then a small batch line where we release very limited quantities. Uh, we have the Astorian, we have Cruel Summer, and we have Las Manos. So these are our reoccurring lines. They, the blends stay consistent. Uh, we expanded the Cruel Summer line into Cruel Summer Camp Broadleaf. Uh, it's a box press broadleaf we use. And the thing is, is that it's a small company. It was a shoestring budget. It was a passion project of mine. So first thing first, we have to get everything legal and do everything right. So we, you know, we got all that done with the website and the tobacco licenses and everything we needed. And then, you know, the cigars come in bundles without bands. So we cut the cost there because I wanted to be able to offer like a really great cigar, awesome tobacco, but like not break the bank, you know, mm -hmm. like you know, some it's, that's what we wanted to do. So by saving the money where we did and putting our focus where we did, we created something really special. And with the website, the website only sells our cigars. So you go to that website, it's all our blends, me and my partners, uh, my wife, Kristen is a partner. Uh, my close friend, Frank Casio is a partner and blender in the uh, company. And then, uh, you know, we also have, uh, Andrew who's leading up some national sales. I'll give him a little shout, but, um, we really just wanted to create cigars. It really wasn't about the boxes and the bands. And yeah, we have some artwork that we work on the, uh, we use with the blends, but it was just really about the tobacco. And I wanted to be able to bring that tobacco to the States and like, you know, sell it. Like that's what it's all about. I want to sell cigars. So we did this on a shoestring budget and, you know, we started about 15,000 cigars and, um, you know, we really went through about half the inventory pretty fast, which I was I was surprised because I was curious on how people were going to respond to the no brands, 
how people were going to respond to this boutique website, you know, like you ever go on Instagram and like some t-shirt company pops up or you're like, oh, that's cool. And then they have all their t-shirts, right? So I kind of wanted to do the same vibe. Like I just mm -hmm. wanted to be at our blends, what we're doing, like come support the project. And more importantly, I had to pay my bills in Nicaragua. So <laughs> I needed something to bring in some cash because, uh, you know, Soho was still closed at the time too. So that's what that is. It was just a, a passion project that we are vigorously growing. We are setting up new accounts daily. Uh, all the cigars are completely sold online. We have a golf course, uh, golf course division uh, that we're currently working on, expanding to pro shops and uh, golf tournaments, things of that nature. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like this dream, those days that we're in, like just shipping out these cigars every day, like, I personally like to ship out the packages. I like to pack them up and like, you know, it's like my wife, when she wraps Christmas presents, it takes like 20 minutes to do like a pair of socks. Like I'm in there like putting everything perfect. And these really are just like my babies. Like these are, you know, small blends. Uh, you know, we make them in about a thousand or 2000 a, a pop in the batches. And, you know, you do a national cigar, right? What do you need? 50, 100,000 cigars to start. And it's just like, we didn't have that budget, but we did have the cigars. So I'm like, you know what? You know, let's do this uh, shoestring budget thing and like see how everyone responds to it. You know, we were confident in the tobacco. And that's really the base of the company, just having that confidence in that tobacco. And I think that's a good point is that, you know, so many times with cigars, you can get tricked sometimes by the, the, the packaging and the marketing. Big time. <laughs> I mean, Big. the packaging, the, you know, the, the bands look so pretty sometimes and you just pick up a cigar based on that. So to, to put your focus on the actual thing that you should be focusing on, which is the tobacco um, in it, I think is, is a bold move because you, you would think it's a no brainer. But in the industry, like, like I said, there's so much going on that sometimes the focus gets put into like, how does the band look? How pretty is it? Is it going to stand out? in the humidor and then you get the cigar and you're kind of disappointed because it's not always the it's best. It's not what it was cracked up to be. Yeah. Right. And you know, being like, I like to tell people like, you know, I, I like, I'm from the hospitality part of this. So like, you know, just cause the scotch has like 12 years on the bottle doesn't mean it's the best scotch. And just cause the mm -hmm. band is the most gorgeous band you've ever seen in your life. Doesn't mean the cigars are good when, you know, during the blending process, and I know, you know, there will be like 10 cigars naked and they're just sitting on the edge of the table and you literally pick it up, you cut it, you light it, you smoke it for a couple puffs, two, three times, and then you cut it again to get the saliva off, put it down and there's a guy right behind you doing the same thing. So you're literally smoking 20 cigars in a row to see the changes, to see like, all right, we inverted the binder and the wrapper. Uh, this, they're both Brazilian binders on these two, but this one's a lower priming. This one's a higher priming. Like there's so much nuances that when we started this company, I was actually talking to Gringo Joe about it in Esteli and, you know, Frank, uh, Casio, who was involved in the beginning and my wife, Kristen, we were kind of talking about it. And I was like, the whole no bands thing came from, you know, me just drinking a little too much rum and being confident. And I was like, you know what? I would put my naked cigar up against any other cigar. And I'm not going to tell you that my cigars are the best, but my cigars are definitely different. They are 100% the most different cigars I've ever had. And that comment 
comes all the way back from that first Habano I smoked from Luciano. Like, it's just different. The fermentation process that he does is a very old one that's not very used much anymore because it takes a lot of time and labor. And that's really the confidence. There's like the blending is there. The rolling's there. Everything is like super high quality and attention to detail. But at the end of the day, what is it really about? It's about the tobacco. And that's what I was like, listen, if the company fails because I didn't put bands on it, then we shouldn't have did this in the first place. I was like, we need to build a base with no bands on it because when we do eventually release bands, now we create a cult following. You know, we were so confident to start in the beginning with no boxes and no bands because we were just so confident in the tobacco. And that's kind of, you know, it's been a slow start. It's been catching like wildfire, you know, over the last six months, knock on wood. But that was that was our basis with it. And you know what? It was bold uh, to quote you earlier. It was very bold. But I'm like, we're bold people. We we moved to Nicaragua in a week. Like it's <laughs> like we, we just make moves, man. Like, let's 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 do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big results guy. Like, let's do it and see what happens and adjust from there. So, you know, we got a couple of fun things happening. We are going to be putting some bands on the, our core lines over the next quarter. Um, our small batch line is called Off the Truck. So, you know, being in Jersey and New York, that kind of came natural to me. But like with the off the truck line, I'm especially excited about. So another thing that this Astorian Cigar Co., another thing it grants me on top of being a blender, it allows me to acquire cigars that I would have never acquired before because, you know, we're working on, like I said, there's 20 cigars there. You're trying to find one cigar for a national release, the blending process, the aging, all that good stuff. But now fast forward, we're at the blending room and we do have these cigars out. And then I do my thing after we pick one and I'm like, oh, leave the cigars there and I want to go through it again. And then I'm like, you know what? We didn't use number four, but what's the binder? Can we, can we change the binder? I feel like it's toothy, blah, blah, blah. And then we go there. But then I make this really awesome cigar and, you know, Luciano, God bless you, because he really allows me to like be a psychopath and like, I'll be there sometimes till like one o'clock in the morning and I gotta, I like buy everyone dinner and like, I got, I gotta like pay the workers. Like, I don't care. Like. I, you know, it's, it's just so much about that process, but then I make a really good cigar. I bring it to Luch and he's like, yo, this is good, but we can only, I only have enough wrapper to make 300 of this. If you want to do a national cigar, I gotta, I gotta order 20,000 pounds of tobacco. So I'm like, make the 300, make me 300 cigars. And then I put them in the, off the truck line. So you get these like hidden gems, these like one offs. And then actually Las Manos was a cigar uh, me and Frankie specifically worked on. And that cigar did so well in the off the truck, we upgraded the wrapper and made it Las Manos. And Las Manos means the hands. And, uh, you know, we kind of dedicated it to the workers who stayed late and worked with us mm -hmm. on these blends. Because, you know, I, I, I can roll a cigar. I'm not saying it'll look like a cigar when I'm done rolling it. But, uh, you know, I couldn't do what these guys do. I mean, the, the, the workers down there the factory people are just above and beyond like some of the best people ever. And I know you're working with Luciano uh, and you talked about how, um, you know, Ace Prime has become the Luciano cigars. So do you want to tell us about um, Maria Lucha? I think is how you pronounce it. Or Maria Lucia. So Lucia. Maria Lucia. So when Luch launched, 
when Luch launched, he launched as Ace Prime. Now, he had been making cigars already for about 12 years. He was making for other companies. He was making uh, cigars for Brazil and Europe. And he just had so much clientele and was just pumping through, like, just a massive amount of SKUs with the uh, cigars that in, again, 2017, 2018, they launched Ace Prime. And now Luciano started with the flagship cigar, uh, Luciano, which was the traveler at the time. And, uh, you know, he had his other blends that are still on deck today. And, you know, it just kind of, Luch says, I like to succeed to success. Like he started out the way he did. He acquired more farms. The factory expanded. Uh, he got more farms again. Then he got his pre-industria, which is the fermentation warehouse. Uh, he got a hang, two more hanging barns. So like he just kept growing. And then the next step was to take over his U.S. distribution and sales force. So with that, we had a company meeting. And, you know, Luch is a, is a pretty humble guy and uh, very soft-spoken and a gentleman. So he didn't, like, love the Luciano cigars at first. He's like, ah, we're a team and we've all done this together. And we're like, no, dude, you're the blender. You know what I mean? You put the work in, you know, you are the madman in the blending room for 15 hours a day. Sometimes like it makes sense. Cause Luch, uh, also on top of that does so many podcasts, so many live events. He just, he's like addicted to talking about cigars and it's like the funnest thing to be around. So Luciano cigars was definitely like, we all like demanded it and you know, he laughed and he's like, okay, that's fine. I like it. It's, it, it, it's got a good ring to it. So with all those blends in mind, right? Uh, you know, we got Masignias, Fiat Lux, uh, Sargent, Luciano has multiple with the, the short release of the Traveler and the Dreamer. With all those lines, um, he had always wanted to dedicate a cigar to his mother. Uh, his mother, and I'm going to tell you a little bit, but I want to get Luch on this show so he can tell you in the proper way. But his mother, uh, you know, died young and had one of the most diverse lives ever, you know, like so much good and positive that this woman put into the world. But with all that good and positive, there was equal turmoil. And it's this crazy story. So Luch had this in his mind for a while. And, you know, sometimes he blends and like the, the story will come to him or he'll have the story and it'll influence the blend. And, with this cigar, his main focus was doing a broadleaf wrapper, and he wanted to box press it. So he started playing around, and you know, this took a couple months because it wasn't like a PCA release or anything. Well, it ended up becoming a PCA release, but it was more like he just started playing around with this wrapper. Uh, so, because he doesn't usually base it on one piece of tobacco, usually he'll like find a couple and then build off of that. So he just remembers saying, like, I don't have a broadleaf wrapper cigar, I want to use one. So you know, after trial and error, trial and error. I mean, he even made 10,000 of the, this one cigar that he thought was going to be the broadleaf and then changed the blend and then for, forgot about the 10,000 cigars. <laughs> so, so it's like, Oh, Mike, try this cigar. And I'm like, wow, this is really, really good, man. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's, let's, let's put them in the box press and let's do it. So we box pressed them a couple of days later. We took a couple bundles of the house. We're smoking them. We're smoking them. And he's like, you know, I think it was like a Sunday. He's like, you know, let's go to, uh, let's go back to the office. So we go to the factory on a Sunday and he starts playing with more tobacco. And I left the next day. So I was, I was going to America for a couple of weeks and he calls me and he's like, yo, I changed the blend. This is the new blend. 
And when I'm coming to Florida, I'll meet you and you could try it. And I'm like, cool, but we just made 10,000 cigars. He goes, <laughs> oh, don't worry about them. We'll, we'll get rid of those. Don't worry. You know, he was just like, didn't, he could care less. It wasn't the blend. It wasn't his final product. He, he went too early with the 10,000 and, you know, we ended up smoking them all. So it didn't matter. <laughs> so it's a hard life down there. But the Maria Lucia now, just to sum that up, he, when he started smoking the broadleaf, he added the Brazilian binder. And then you have just all kinds of different tobaccos and the filler and the cigar is so complex that the complexity really like spoke to him and reminded him of his mother. And it was really as simple as that. Like it really did like, you know, he'll get on and he'll tell you some details, but his mother had a crazy complex life and the cigar really reminded it like him of her. And that's kind of as simple as it went. The artwork on the cigar is absolutely gorgeous. It's a uh, uh, hand drawing that his daughter did. And you got to remind him of wanting to bring that story up because it's a crazy like story how she she kind of drew this picture of the mom and didn't know like that was her grandma she never saw her grandma before she never saw a picture of her she's like 14 and like just drew this and like it was this whole crazy thing and then they ended up framing it and it's it's been in the, the office for like years and years and years and then this blend happens so we end up using the artwork from his daughter so there's so much of his heart into that cigar and anyone who smokes that cigar like really feels it without even knowing the story. They're just like, dude, what is this? Like what's happening right now? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. So it's just one of those things we get really excited about. And it's, it's fun to hear him talk about it. Cause he's just, he's just so passionate about it. And like, you can tell like the passion comes through knowledge. It just comes through him, like fully submersing yourself in the product. And, you know, I got to give him credit as much as, he doesn't pick the phone up all the time because he's in Jalapa in some field with no reception. Uh, you know, you really feel that like he speaks from experience. He speaks from passion and knowledge. And, you know, when Maria Lucia it was just really something special we got our hands on to and so excited to have it part of the portfolio full time now. Well, that's an awesome story. And I am looking forward to having him on Deep Cuts. I know you're going to help arrange. Oh, it's happening. Don't worry. On that stuff. Um, that's something to look forward to this year, but, um, I want to wrap up this part of the interview with you with, uh, some questions that I like to ask each guest. Um, the first of those questions being, what is your philosophy? So is there a philosophy that you kind of live by? Uh, you know, if I had to say, uh, it's two parts. Uh, number one, mind your business. And number two, treat people how you want to be treated. You know, it's, it's kind of, it sounds silly, but it really is the truth, man. Like I can't tell you how many headaches and you know, how many, how much drama I see in people's life. And then when you ask them a couple questions about it, it's like, well, maybe you should have minded your business. And, uh, <laughs> or it's like, well, why did you talk to that person like that? Would you like to be spoken to like that? And then it's like, why are you taking their side? Like, no, 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 no. You're being an ass. So I really try to live that way. And, you know, with the meeting so many people, you know, this industry, like it's, it's, it is premium tobacco, but it, it's a network. It's an industry of networking. So I really try to just mind my business and treat everyone exactly how I want to be treated. And I want to be treated like a gentleman at all times. So I really, I like that question. It was good. 
<laughs> um, I want you to finish the sentence. Mike Denolis is almost as well dressed as Antoine. That's what I'm saying right now. <laughs> Wearing the same suit, babe. I love it. <laughs> same colors and everything. I always like, I don't know. I always like, I feel like um, artistically, like black is like the go-to color that you can easily go to. And I'm oh, like, yeah, why always go to black? Like why not choose something that's a little bit on the other end of the, the color spectrum, which is probably why deep cuts look so bright in eighties. Like, cause I'm just like, there's so many things that are dark and, and moody and stuff like that. And I'm like, I want people to kind of feel a little bit lighter when they at least deal with me. And so I get it. Man. I get it. And you know, like, with the suits, right? Because I've seen you dressed up a lot. And when I, like, I could literally care less what anyone else wears. I don't judge people. You want to wear leather jackets, sneakers. Like, I really don't care. This is just how I grew up. Like, you know how, like, you grew up and you wanted, like, a car, like, a sports car. Like, you had that dream car. I never had a dream car. I had dream suits. Like, I just wanted to dress like this. So, however you want to dress is cool. But I do have to say, when I see my friends starting to suit up more, I get very excited. So, I've been noticing you at the trade show kind of like, you know, put on the swag a yeah. little bit. And uh, it's nice. Yeah. It feels good. You look good. You play good. It's good manners. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, you're in the media. It's nice just to dress up a little bit. I think sometimes we get a little too comfortable you know just i don't know like you said no i agree with you by the end of a trade show though i'm ready for like the jeans and the t-shirt and stuff <laughs> the beginning of it i'm like I'm, I'm like i'm still in that that suit mentality so i'm already thinking oh, man. like trying I'm to plan out the different outfits and suits for for this year for different events so you know, By the end of the trade show, I'm all gym clothes. I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to like not smoke cigars for 24 hours and just sleep. By the end of that trade show, because I'm doing probably three or four boxes a week, just at that damn trade show. But worth it. <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> so, for those people who aren't watching this and who are listening to it, can you tell people what uh, websites they need to follow for Astoria and also for Luciano and also absolutely. What? social media and how they can get in touch and keep up with you. I love it. So my personal page is Mike underscore the Greek. Uh, you know, that's a bunch of me cigar stuff, you know, a nice little hodgepodge of fun content, uh, a story cigar co.com. And then a story cigar co is the tag. This is going to be our Instagram and website. You can go directly to the link in bio or directly to the website. Uh, we offer, we have over 20 different cigars on the website right now, some merchandising. Uh, we have hats and shirts coming out in the next couple weeks, and we're offering combos, samplers, 10 packs, five packs. We try to really like get that diversity in there. And with Luciano Cigars, it is lucianocigars.com or at Luciano Cigars for Instagram. The cool thing about it, uh, Luciano's page is that it's very, um, content forward you know providing like really cool imagery and some different views of what we see on a day-to-day but also the education uh we kind of go over like you know 30 second clips of like why this tobacco is aged this long why this uh why we cut the leaves off this plant uh 
and this week and we left these leaves. So it just really is an educational thing to where if you're just trying to casually learn more about the product, Luciano Cigars is definitely where you need to be.